Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. In Psalm 145, verse 17, the Bible says, The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He is filled with kindness. I want to preach to you this morning from a three-word title, God is good. Pray with me. God, thank you for being good. Thank you for allowing us to be in this place today, God. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, God. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray now by your spirit that you'd speak to us from your word in Jesus' name, God. I pray that you would strengthen my body and allow me to say the things that would honor you today, God. We come from different homes and different places today, but we all come needing a touch from you. We need a move of your spirit in this place, God. So I ask you to do your work your way in Jesus' name. Amen. There was years and years and years, and I think there's probably still some churches that are still doing it, and I know many of you were involved in ministries that for a long time would just repetitively say that God is good and all the time. And, and that carried for a while, but it was true before churches in America started saying it. And it is still just as true today, even though people aren't typically saying it. If you, if you don't get anything else out of today's message, I really want you to get this in your mind. God is good. We say amen and we nod our heads in agreement, but deep down on the inside in that ugly part of each one of us that we don't like to expose to the masses, that we don't like to talk about, and sometimes we even try to fool ourselves, there is a lingering thought and spirit inside people that tries to fight against this theory that God is good. Not theory, but truth, fact, against this fact that God is good. There's something on the inside of people that causes them to think, well, if he is good, maybe he's not always good to me. I want you to know that the goodness of God has no limits and it has no favorites. And God is not just good to one or two or three. God is good all the time. His goodness manifests. He can't be anything less than good. And he couldn't be any more good than he already is. There's two parts to this verse. If you put this verse back on the screen for me, Sound Booth, there's two parts to this verse, and it's easily defined by people who've been coming for any length of time. Thank you, Deacon. That it's easy to see and to dissect this verse if you've been coming around because we've learned as a Bible church to pay attention to what? Pay attention to the punctuation when you read Scripture or any work of literature for that matter, but especially when you read scripture, pay attention to the punctuation. Pause on the punctuation. Reflect on the punctuation. Look and see if it's a if it's a comma pause. If it's a period, it's a complete statement. Stop and think about it. If it's a question mark, figure out what's being asked. If it's an exclamation point, figure out what's being exclaimed. But we see two very distinct parts of this verse in our text this morning. The first part says, the Lord is righteous in everything he does. 
And then there's the punctuation there. So we have to stop on that and consider it. I want you to learn to take the Bible in bite-sized pieces. I want you to learn to read less and understand more. Well, hold on. Let me back up. Some of y'all couldn't read less. All right. I, 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 I want you to not try to read massive Amounts of scripture in one sitting unless you're digesting all of it and getting all of it in. Now, if you want to sit down and read an entire book in the Bible, but you'll be honest before God and you, you will think about it as you read it. You'll get it down in your spirit and not just forget. How many of y'all know you can sit down and read a whole chapter of the Bible, rush through it, get up, close the book, and not really have taken anything in? We got to learn how to get it past our head and down into our spirit. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. That's part one. Say part one. And then re read out loud for me. What's part two? Do you believe these two things? We say that we do, but we've got to get it past speech and get it into living. There's too much speech going on in the world today. There's too much talking going on in the world today. There's too many people confessing things they don't possess and talking about things that they don't live out. And that's why if you tell me, now I'm not mad at you, but if I ask you how you're doing and you go into some church speech of, oh, pastor, I'm just blessed and highly favored. I'm just always above and never beneath. God has made me the head and not the tail. My days are just blessed. I'm blessed without measure. Every hair on my head is known to God. I am going to call you out on stupid because if you got it that good why you whining on social media if you understand how great God is why are you staying up late at night and can't sleep if, if it's all that good why do you care what your bill structure is we've got to move into honesty you see the Bible says that what God accepts is not just a broken heart not just a contrite heart but truth in the inward part and I want you to get truthful in your inward part today in these two things of understanding because I believe that proper understanding of these two truths will properly shape your theology, your morality, your spirituality, your level of thankfulness, your level of joy, your level of understanding who God is. Now, some of you haven't had a lot of hardship in your life. Some of you have had a ton of hardship in your life some of you think you've had more hardship than you've had and some of you have dealt better with your hardship than most have I touched on most people in the room at this point everybody can sing a sad song and everybody's song is sad to them and I I had to learn over the course of pastoring this church that it doesn't matter if your story's as sad as mine if it's painful to you then it's painful to you I can remember after Gail died she was 36 years old and left me with a two-year-old and a four-year-old and within a month less than a month I was sitting in a counseling session someone had went on the church schedule called the office set up a counseling time they're not here anymore God bless them uh, uh, took, took up all that time and left that's a different message for a different day but sat in my office and literally was sobbing, weeping. They had just lost their grandmother at 87 years of age, and they didn't know how they were going to go on dealing with life. 
and they, they couldn't breathe, they couldn't sleep, their world was upside down, they couldn't understand how God could take grandmama from them when they still need. Now, this, this was a grown person telling me, oh, this in, in their 40s, and uh, I'm sitting there thinking in my mind, Let's flip the desk around for a minute. Let's change where we're sitting for a minute. At 87, listen, I ain't mad at you if you're 87 years old, but you've been cheating death for a minute. (laughs) Ain't that right? Hey, praise God. More power to you. But the Bible says that the days allotted for us are 70 years. But if by reason of strength they be more than this, they're yet filled with pain and suffering. We got some people in the room. I don't want to call you. You ought to be happy if, if, if you made plus 70. Ain't that right, Uncle Ken? Plus 70 is good news. But it, we got some people in the room that have made plus 70. But if you talk to them, they can let them know there's some pain going on past 70. I'm here to tell you there's some pain going on past 50. <laughs> you keep lying to yourself if you want to. Keep telling yourself 50 is the new 30. Oh, it's still 50. Keep telling yourself you don't look your age. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Man, I had to come face to face with this message this week as God put in my heart what to share. Because that's that's my greatest task every week is to ask God to show me what he wants me to say to his people. Uh, this, this is not my church. It's God's church. Uh, this is not my message. It's God's message. We're all serving God together, and God speaks to me. The stuff that you hear is so funny. People are like, oh, Pastor, you're stepping on my toes uh, this week. And even if I preach for an hour and a half, uh, you just got an hour and a half with it. I've been dealing with it all week long. Y'all, y'all just hear what God is messing with me about all week long. How do you think my toes feel on a regular? But, but I, but I want to be corrected by the Lord. And, and, and God had to deal with me this week because when you have faced hardship, and, and what I had to realize about that person, listen, wh- whether they're 36 or 106, it's never a good time to lose somebody you love. And, and, and I had to realize that that pain that that, that person was going through, that grief was real. And, and, and that grief, grief was honest. And God cared about those tears as much as he cared about my tears. Now, I grew up, and you can ask, you can ask my sister, because I, when I was growing up, there was always tear jerkers on TV. They had, that, they had that family movie of the week all the time. And it was always, you know, the boy in the bubble, something for Joey, Brian's song, another cat with leukemia, cancer, uh, bilateral dysfunctionality, something going on, and, and tear jerker movie. And, and the good guy didn't always come out on top. You know, dude just died. And my mom and my sister, they would just be bawling, bawling their eyes out. Just, oh, my God, poor Joey. Oh, he's in a bubble. Ah! And I'd just be sitting there in all my lost, unsaved, hateful, rebellious, ungodly laughing at them. What are y'all crying about? What are y'all, stupid? 
That, that's, that's, well, that, that's Vinnie Barbarino off. Welcome back, Cotter. He's drawing a check. He's not dying from leukemia. Why are you crying? And then, you know, well, I will tell you this. Well, I saw Brian's song. I had to get up and go to the bathroom because I knew if I started crying that they were going to be asking me why am I crying because that's not Brian, Brian Piccolo or Gail Sayers. Uh, but, it, hey, it is what it is. Anyway, as I got saved, God did something in me. And I've shared with some of you before. Some of you heard the testimony. I got to the point where I just started crying about everything. Somebody stand up and talk about the Lord, I'd start crying. I hear a song on the radio, I'd start crying. Somebody say something God had done in their life, I'd start. It got to the point, a Bell South commercial. <laughs> Don't let a good Hallmark greeting card commercial come on. And I just, and I went, I finally went to my pastor and I said, hey man, I think I've snapped. <laughs> Y'all been waiting on it for a long time, I know. I think it's here. And he said, well, what's wrong? I said, man, I'm just crying all the time and he said well Scott you know the Bible says that when you truly get saved and become a new person in God there's a process of God taking that hard stony heart and turning it in, 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 into a soft pliable heart that God can deal with and God is just squeezing that rock hard heart of yours and he's letting all of, of, of that just weep out through your eyes and he told me don't, don't, don't ever worry about how much you cry because uh, that's just God, God's way of, of dealing with you and, and let that pain come out through your eyes let those tears come out through your eyes if you keep crying you will, you'll never swell up and, and live a life of pride uh, but I want to tell you, I have cried a bunch. I cry. I probably cry, if not every day, every week over something. It, 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 it could be random. It could be the sin of America. Uh, it, it, it could be, uh, you know, what, what's going on on the other side of the world. I, I cry over situations and circumstances, spiritual things. Uh, but then there's also personal things. Uh, th this week, 13 years ago today, and some of y'all were there, 13 years ago today, what uh, was a funeral for Gail. And so these, these anniversaries, they always come with, 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 with as much impact, I guess, as you let them have. Uh, and and people, people say, well, you know, it, it's been a while. Well, uh, th things aren't always to be gotten over. Things are to be learned through. And so as I had to deal with my own personal situation this week and going through uh, different things, I had to come to this conclusion as God was dealing with me in the scripture and laying this on my heart to share with you the, these three words that God is good. In the midst of tragedy, God is good. In the midst of suffering, God is good. On good days, bad days, sappy days, sappy days, happy days and sad days and sappy days, God is good. And, and, I, and I want us to think about that this morning because I, I believe that too many times we, we, we don't slow down on these things that we've heard so much. But let's look at the first part of this verse. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. Now, if I was if this was Wednesday night Bible study, and tonight will be or today will be more like Wednesday night Bible study, because I'm not going to stay in one passage and teach that passage today. I'm going to give you a few scriptures, talk about them, and go home. But if I was giving you a test 
today, and you just had to circle that you agree or you disagree. And I said, Here, here's, what, here's the statement. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. Most people sitting in a church building would automatically circle that they agree with that. But I've done too much counseling in my lifetime to know that that's really where everyone's heart is. And I've been too real in my own life to know that that's really always where everyone's heart is because too many times people get mad at God as if he's done something wrong. Thinking that God has done something wrong is counterintuitive to what the Scripture says. Thinking that God has done something wrong to you is in direct conflict with this statement that the Lord is righteous in how much that he does. Now, here's what I want you to get this morning. Is God really righteous in everything that he does to you? In everything that he's done to you? In everything that he's going to do to you? Because I, I've seen too many people get mad at God as if he's done something wrong, as if somehow he's, he shortchanged them, as if somehow life had been unduly unfair to them. And that is the trick of the devil. The trick of the devil is to make you think nobody's ever had it as hard as you've had it. When the scripture plainly says that the trouble that are in you are in people throughout the world. You don't have any certain special where you just don't know how hard life's been for me. Well, I know how hard it's been for me. I mean, I told you everybody can sing a sad song. I wonder if you broke your back twice, uh, broke your neck, and had, had somebody uh, that, uh, that you loved die all, all in a short period of time. I mean, we can all start stacking up what's gone wrong, but in the middle of it, how have you dealt with it? Have you dealt with it like, well, I know God is righteous in everything that he does, and I'm counting on God. I really, I, I believe this with everything that is in me, but sometimes I have to remind myself because if we don't stay focused on the truth, the lie can be bought into. If we don't stay focused on the truth, we can get our thinking wrong and we can be subject to bad thinking. And then that affects your theology, it affects your morality, it affects your level of thanksgiving, your level of joy. And we've got to believe, listen, to so many times people say, whose report will you believe? We shall believe what? The report of the Lord. Okay, well, are we if we're going to believe what God says, then we've got to believe that he's righteous in everything that he does. I don't know how people make it through the week without understanding there's a God up there who's righteous and he's in control of everything. God knows what he's doing. And this is why so many times people can't transition from where they are to the next level that God would have them be at because they're bitter about the place that they're in. And you've got to learn how to embrace your place. You've got to learn how to embrace everything that's happened to you and openly agree that God was right in everything that he did along the way. Or you're going to find yourself battling with proper theology and it's going to impact every aspect of your life. Look at the second thing. It says he is filled with kindness. I, it, it's so crazy. If you talk to people about the Lord at all, you're going to run into crazy people and they're going to say stuff like, well, if God is so loving, why does he let children be born with blah, blah, blah? 
Or if God is so loving, what about the tribes in Blomblandia that have never even had running water to drink? And, and you ought to think in your mind, do you really care about the tribes in Blomblandia? Are you losing sleep over that? Or are you just looking for a way to justify your hatred of God? Mm. See, we can't do a lot of real preaching in America. Well, I, I, don't, let it, I don't let the crowd size bother me. Uh, you know, we, we, we've, we've done something miraculous. We downsized attendance and got better as a church. Most people think that it goes in the opposite direction. But uh, the, if you listen to preaching from back in the day, where people love God and put God in front of them. You hear words from great preachers like Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, and he said, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's close. He, he said, when talking to people who make excuses for God, I tell them plainly, away with your excuses. I will have none of it, and you should offer no more of them to me. I would rather that you plainly and boldly, with truth, just state the plain matter of the fact that you hate my God and his son Jesus Christ and you choose none of his ways away with your excuses. Now, yeah, that's a mic drop. That, but Spurgeon would just be like, get you some of that. Now, if you, want, if you ever look for modern transliteration of Scripture, if you look into these words, these Hebrew and Greek words, you, you see one word in the book of Psalms over and over again, and it's the word selah. And that word, if, if you were going to get the most modern 2019 west side of Jacksonville transliteration for that, it is get you some of that. Because it says boom, 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 selah. Now, mo most commentators say uh, that it, it means, I've said what I've said, and it means that plainly. But, you know, here we just say, get you some of that. Uh, but when he said, away with your excuses, what if you just did away with your, all your excuses about why life is bad for you? What if you did away with all your excuses about your failures? What if you did away with all your excuses about why life hasn't turned out for you, and you just said, e either plainly, I love God, and I'm okay with whatever God has for me, or I hate God, and I'm always going to? Well, that'd be at least be honest, wouldn't it? That would at least be honest. The Bible says he's filled with kindness. But too many times, people feel like God has been less than kind to them. I talk to people that have told me point blank, I just don't think God has been fair to me. Now, jokingly, I cover my head when they say that and think, oh, you, 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 you I, well, we, we got lightning strike victim in the room right now. I can't even make a joke about lightning. You still alive? You walked in, y'all pray for Andrew Rich. He got struck by lightning this week. Um, hey, if it happens again, we'll write a book about it. So there's always that to look forward to. But I thank God that he's alive. But people who say this stuff about God, I've had people say, I don't care what God thinks. I don't appreciate the life that he's given me. Wow. Now, this is somebody that should really away with their excuse and just boldly admit, I hate him, I ain't scared of him, I don't fear him, I don't think he can do anything to me, I think he owes me. And there are people literally, if you gave them some sodium pentothal that forced them to tell the truth, and you asked them, do you feel like God has given you more or less 
than you deserve. There are people, honestly, that will say, I think God's given me less than I deserve because I think I should have had better because so-and-so had better, and this person had more, and what about me? Now, see, this is the voice of someone who clearly doesn't understand the goodness of God. This is the voice of someone who clearly is fooling themselves about what we deserve because I want you. Now, some of you will automatically. Some of you will pretend you will, and some of you won't. But I want you to agree with me this morning that God has been better to us than we deserve. All this taken in proper perspective is going to change so much about your life. Let's listen to some scripture, pull some points and get out of here. In Deuteronomy 32.4, the scripture says, He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong how just and upright he is. If you get out of your pity party, If you get out of your I don't understand what's going on with me party, if you get out of your compare, listen, the Bible says when we compare ourselves to ourselves, we become unwise. One translation says we become as fools. But if you're going to say that you believe in God, you got to believe in God's word because if the God you believe in is a liar, that God can't get you to heaven. If the God you believe in is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, then you have to accept that all his words are perfect and all his words are pure because either he's God or he's a liar and he never lies. And he said that his deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. Well, if everything he does is just and fair, has everything he's done to you been just and fair? Oh, man, how cool would it be if we just didn't care about how long church lasted, and we just really got open and honest. I'd just sit down on this step right now and hand the microphone to people that would just get their gripe session out with God. Because there are people in this room that don't believe that everything he's done has been just and fair. And I'll tell you the truth. There have been times in my life where I didn't feel like what had happened to me was fair. Anybody want to be that honest? rest of y'all need help. Help's coming for honest people. Helps far from those who won't be honest. The scripture declares that. But everything he does is just and fair. If you are to agree with that, then you have to agree that everything that he's done with you has been just and fair. And that he's faithful God who does no wrong. I want to tell you something. The reason why we are where we are is because God is doing something with us. People just wildly quote Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. We know that all things work together for good. Uh, The death of somebody you care about? How's that working out for good? Uh, the, the, The tragedy that befell you when you were at your most vulnerable time? How is that working out for your good? Listen, you don't have to. See, this is where some of y'all get stuck. You shouldn't have to understand everything to believe that God knows what he's doing. When you can't figure it out, you got to faith it out. And we need a people of faith that will say, no matter what it feels like to me, no matter what I don't understand about it and how twisted it looks to me, I choose to believe that God is faithful and he never does wrong. 1 Samuel 2, 3 says, stop acting so proud and haughty. 
Don't speak with such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows what you have done. He will judge your actions. Oh, if there was ever a mic drop in all the Bible, that's it. That's it. Because here's the reality. There are a group of people out there that act like they haven't done what they've done. See, that, that's why you, you better be open, honest, and transparent and let the whole world know that you are tore up from the floor, up, that you're a mess that didn't deserve God's love, that you've always had issues and still got issues, but God in His mercy saved you. People walking around acting like, as if no sin they have done, acting like they deserve better than they've gotten, acting like they've been dealt a shorthand. Listen to what God says. Number one, He says you're proud and you're haughty. And, 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 and your words are arrogant. And, and here, here's, the big, here's, the, here's the big gut punch. He knows what you've done. Do you get that? He no. Now, this is the most mind-blowing thing to me. This, this, to me, speaks to the love of God so clearly and in such amazement. Because as human beings, we, for the most part, we love people who are good to us. Is that right? We love people we think deserve our love. We love people that reciprocate our love. Now, you know, moms, sometimes they transcend that. Sometimes they don't. Listen, if, if, if uh, Pookie has stole all of your televisions twice and you're still trying to tell your husband, but that's my baby and he can come home anytime he wants to, uh, make her live without TV, bruh. Put nothing back in there. Listen, but for the most part, we love people that we feel deserve to be loved, that love us. Listen, God, the Bible says God showed his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says some might give their life for a righteous person. There are people in this room that I die for. There are people in this room I believe die for me. There are people in this room that would give you their last because they love you already. Now, how willing are you to give your last to your enemy. How willing are you to give your last to somebody who has wronged you, somebody who has hurt you, somebody who has truly done you bad? I want you to know the Bible commands us to love everybody. And if you can get this in your mind, God knows what you've done. But, but add this to it. He loves you anyhow. That's a mind blower. That's a mind blower to me. When I came to that reality, um, it changed everything about the, the way I approached God. When I really realized if, if he loves me in spite of everything that I cost him and his son on Calvary. See, this, this is where the arrogant person, this is where the haughty person, this is where the proud person speaking with such arrogance doesn't understand. Your sin killed Jesus. Your sin was nailed to the cross. Your sin, the Bible says, he bore our sins in his body. Your sin hung on Jesus. Your sin cost God fellowship with his son. And God knows everything that you've ever done, everything that you've thought, everything that you're going to do. That really ought to get you out of the judgment game. That ought to get you out of the looking down on others game. That ought to get you out of the proud and haughty game. That ought to get you out of thinking God has, has given you less than what you deserve. 
if you really believe that he knows everything that we've done. In Revelation 19, 11, John the Revelator said, Then I saw heaven open, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and rages a righteous war. When you read these things declaring Jesus and, 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 and you, you grow in your faith, these things start to well up in you. And you start to see Jesus in the Bible. And, and it's exciting. And, and you know, that's my God. And he is the righteous judge. And he is the one riding on that horse. And he is faithful. And he is true. But don't forget the other side of the comma. He judges fairly. Well, if he judges fairly, you got to stop saying that something happened to you that wasn't fair. If you believe that God's in control of everything, if you believe that the sovereignty of God, the, the, the theological truth that says that God is always in charge and he's the causative agent of everything that happens and he makes it happen according to his own goodwill, not taking counsel from anyone else, but doing what his soul desires. That's what he said in the book of Job. That's what he said all throughout the scripture, that he alone makes the decision. And everything that he does is right. Everything that he does has a plan for it. I know that even in my hardest days, there's a plan for my pain. Your pain has purpose. Your, 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 your test should be building your testimony. What you've gone through, you didn't go through for it to kill you. How can I say that? Surely, because you're still here. So God's purpose is being worked out, and he judges fairly, and he wages a righteous war. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins. I want you to come out tonight to communion. We are going to remember the Lord's suffering. The Bible says as often as we do this memorial meal that we remember his suffering and we're going to do that tonight but I want you to consider it right now the fact that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins some of y'all see somebody that bought you a lunch one time and you can't stop thanking them for buying you a lunch and you're just overly excited because somebody cut your grass for you one time. Or you're just so thankful that somebody bailed you out of a jam or helped you get a job. Listen, all those things should elicit gratitude from your heart, but nothing should be compared to the fact that he purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. I've said it to you as many ways as I know how for years and years and years. Too many people are sitting back wondering when God is going to step up and do for them what they feel like God ought to do for them. Too many people are sitting back wondering, when is God going to blah, 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 X, Y, Z, when is God going to, listen, God has already done enough in this one verse, God has already done enough at Calvary. God has already done enough when he purchased our salvation with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And if you don't agree with that, I propose to this to you this morning. You are lost and undone. You are still in your sin and transgression, and you know not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't believe that God did enough for you at Calvary, then surely you don't understand what he did for you at Calvary. But he has 
purchased our freedom and forgiven of our forgiven our sins because he is so rich in kindness. When you think about God, what is your mental picture of God? Do you see God as kindness and love and grace and acceptance and mercy and 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 just amazing love? Or do you see God as hard and cold and judgmental and bitter and negative? Let me, let me give you a hint. You wonder how to expose yourself? Everybody sitting here thinking that they see God on that, on that other side because of what other people have done to them? You're who's being talked about in all these scriptures. You're, you're, you're the one who isn't understanding how kind and how great God is. Because I, I, I'll give you this story and we'll get out of here. I remember one day. I hadn't been saved for long. My parents were divorced. Uh, my mom had remarried. Her and my stepdad got divorced. Um, my little brother uh, was 11 years younger than me. I was 18 years old, so he was seven. And every weekend, his dad would come and get him and take him away for a Saturday. And my mom and him, they didn't get along at all. My mom wasn't saved at this point, and I just recently gotten saved. And I'd always hated my stepdad, lots of issues there. Uh, but that's not the, today's story. He was not allowed in our house. So when he would come pick him, and listen, imagine this, kids. I know you can't imagine this. Didn't used to be a cell phone. Wasn't no text. Wasn't no uh, OMW. What's OMW? You just couldn't text anybody OMW, and they're like, oh, okay. Uh, no. You sat in the driveway and you honked the horn. Or you rang it, but he wasn't allowed to ring the doorbell. So he sat in his car and waited until my brother went out. And I started going out there purposefully to try to share God's love with this man who had been the object of my most hate, pain, difficulty. The, the, the sole object of everything that I despised. Uh, that, that had caused so much trauma inside my life, inside our family's life. And I started going out there, just talking, just chatting him up, trying to build uh, an opportunity to share Christ with him. And one day I came in, and my mom was so mad. I waited out there, I, uh, and, and then I told him, you know, Mark, you need to send Mark out. He, he, David's out there, and... Uh, I came in, and my mom was so mad, and she's like, how can you stand in that driveway and be nice to him after everything he's put us through? And I told her this, and she didn't understand it because she was yet unsaved. I said, Mom, if God can love me and forgive me for all the wrong things that I've done to him in my life, I certainly can love and forgive that man for the wrong things that he's done to me. You got to get out of your bitterness and, because it'll never allow you to understand and see God in the right way. It'll, it'll, it'll badly shape your theology. It'll badly shape your view of people. It will hurt your friendships. It, it will hurt your relationship with God. You've got to understand that God doesn't just love sometimes. God is love. That God just doesn't have uh, some plans. He is the plan. You got to understand that God doesn't mostly get it right. He cannot get it wrong. Romans 2, 4 says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? 
question mark. That could be pause on that, go right into the invitation. I want you to deal with this right now, and we're going to go home. I want you to deal with this right now, this question. I want you to really deal with it in your mind. Do you see how kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you or not? Do you understand that God has been tolerant, kind, and patient with you or not? Then, then because the writer knows that he's not getting through, he asks the follow-up question. Does this mean nothing to you? Does God's kindness and his patience towards you mean nothing to you to the point where you still can't see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Now, this last sentence in verse 4 is more known and more preached and more, more quoted in the old King's English that says that the goodness of the Lord leads us to repentance. What is it that draws your heart to God? Let me tell you what's wrong and what's right. If what draws your heart to God is when you feel ooey and gooey and warm on the inside and get goosebumps on the back of your neck, you can get all that from a Celine Dion concert in Las Vegas. You, you can get all that from your favorite gospel singer at, at the mega church uh, on, on any weekend of the year. If all that draws you to God and causes you to want to straighten yourself up is when something good happens for you. Oh, I was driving to work. I had somebody tell me this story. And, and I, I, it's just, I just, I wish I had all the time in the world to correct all this bad theology. But sometimes I just got to smile and say, well, God bless you. Told me they had been mad at God for years over something that had happened. But they saw a rainbow in the sky, and they knew God put that rainbow there just for them, and it warmed their heart toward God. And I'm thinking, okay, so sure God created the rainbow. He didn't put that rainbow there for you to tell you to stop being mad at him. There's some science involved in a rainbow, am I right? Had to be some moisture somewhere. Had to be some refraction somewhere. Uh, if all that draws you to want to change and draw closer to God is, is when things are going your way, then you're missing the whole point and you'll never truly draw close to God. You'll just live on an emotional up, down, up, down. And this roller coaster that most people find themselves on fire for God, bottomed out, just mad. On fire for God, bottomed out, just mad. This emotional roller coaster that people find themselves on is nowhere mentioned in the scripture. It's nowhere given example by any of the prophets or the apostles. It's not God's intended plan for his children. It's not God's plan for you to see something cool and decide, I want to get back right with God. Let me tell you what ought to cause you to want to get right with God. The fact that he didn't kill you for your sin. It's his kindness in the midst of your rebellion that should cause you to say, who wouldn't love a God like this? How can I not get right? See, you now... I had a preacher tell me one time, you shouldn't get saved just to miss hell. And I, I always scratch my head about that. And I'm thinking, well, that ain't, that ain't a horrible thing. I sure want to miss hell. I mean, I'm not trying to sign up for hell. But my understanding was young. 
And what he was trying to say is, you shouldn't love God and run to God just to miss hell. You ought to love God and run to God for all the great things that he's done for you. For the fact that he loved you when you were running away from him. For the fact that he never gave up on you. For the fact that he was drawing you to himself. It's his kindness. I told you a proper understanding of these two, two truths will properly shape your theology, morality, and a bunch of other stuff. I want to look at two of them real quick before we go. Think about this. How can understanding that the Lord is righteous in everything he does shape our morality? Say morality. Because when we realize that God is right, even when we don't like it, we got to come to grips with what morality really is. Because there are liars in the earth today that think morality is subjective. That morality is relative. That what's right for you is not right for me. Or what's wrong for you is not wrong for me. And you may see it that way, but I see it a different way. I've had people go so far as to say, well, that may be God's plan for you, but God's got a different plan for me. This is anti-scriptural heresy of the highest order. The Bible says no scriptures of any private interpretation. The Bible can't mean one thing to you and a different thing to me. It means what it means. And there's a whole lot of mic dropping going on. But when people don't like what it means, and they won't adjust their morality based on what it means, then they try to change what it means. And, act, and I've had people tell me, oh, me and the man upstairs got, a, got our own deal worked out. Let me tell you something. Anybody that refers to Jehovah God, creator of all that there is, as the man upstairs, surely ain't saved. They don't understand how holy God is. And if they think they've got a deal where, and I've had people tell me, Pastor Scott, you're just a dinosaur. You're just stuck in old. Times change. Well, times do change, but God doesn't. Times do change, but God's word doesn't. And God is always right. And if God is always right and his words are always true, then you've got to come to grips with what morality really is because his word is always right even when it affects you wrong. Did you hear me? Sometimes his word is going to tell you, you can't keep doing that. And you're going to try to justify what you're doing. You can't keep believing that. And you're going to try to justify what you're believing. You can't keep supporting that. And you're going to try to justify what you're supporting. See, we let different things shape our morality when what really defines morality is God. Because he's the one who's always right. But people are trying to change it. Churches are trying to change it. The Pope is trying to change it. Denominations are trying to change it. Listen, hear me good and I'm done. If it was ever wrong in God's eyes, it's still wrong. Listen to what God says. I am the Lord. I change not. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen, I'll I, I just hit you with some because some, some of y'all wouldn't feel like y'all came to church if you didn't get mad at me. I don't care what you think about a woman's right to choose. God said that he knows that baby inside the womb. And abortion has always been wrong and it's always going to be wrong. It doesn't matter how much our culture accepts it. And it doesn't matter what, if, it, if it affected you. Listen, I was a drunk and a druggie. It was wrong. I repented of it and I ain't those things no more. 
Don't let the fact, well, I, I can't say that because I, I, it affected me personally. Put that by, the Bible says forgetting those things which are behind you. Accept all the forgiveness that God has given you and step into a new season right now. The, the right is right and wrong is wrong. Some people don't want to admit that drunkenness is wrong. I had people say, well, you know, it, it, it's, you, you, you eat donuts. I had somebody tell me one time, I'm just trying to help them. They came to me wanting to stop being a drunk. So we're counseling. Well, they get mad. They get upset because I tell them what they're doing is wrong. And they said, well, you got drugs too? I'm like, no. They, all that sugar you eat, all that Dr. Pepper you drink, sugar is a drug. I'm like, okay, well, you got to leave. One thing I have learned in 38 years of preaching, you can't fix stupid. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, if, if anyone will be ignorant, let them be ignorant. Drunkenness is wrong. The Bible says not to be drunk. Your justification for it doesn't change it. See, you want your, you, you letting your morality falsely shape who God is, but if you don't understand really who God is, then His truth will shape your morality. It's not just that. What about laziness? Laziness has always been wrong. It's always going to be wrong. You can't read the Bible and, and, and not understand that God is not for laziness. God is not for prayerlessness. God is not for lack of Bible study. God is not for people who don't ever give money to Him and obey Him in their finances. These things are all said by this God who's always right. What if you lined up and started doing what God says is right? You think that would help you or hurt you? I've had so many people say, oh, well, I don't want to get totally right with God because then I'd have to give up all my fun. That what you're calling fun is leading you into misery. That what you're calling fun is not helping you on a big level. That what you're calling fun is not ever going to let you understand God right. I, I, not, not only our morality, but you got to think about how can understanding that God's filled with kindness shape our thankfulness. I want you to get this and I'm done. If you really can not just say, okay, I hear what you're saying, but if you really can grab hold of this and possess this as truth. He's been better to us than we deserve. And do yourself a favor and stop letting people use the expression, well, that's your truth, but I want you to hear my truth. Truth is not subjective to you. Truth is not subject to your interpretation of it. You don't have truth. That's like saying, well, 2 plus 2 might be 4 to you, but 2 plus 2 is 7 to me. That's my truth. No, that's your error. You either agree with truth or you stand in error. And the truth is, God has been better to us than we deserve. He knows everything wrong that we've ever done, but He loves us anyway. How kind is that? You wouldn't even tell people in this room the worst things about you for fear that if they knew, they wouldn't love and accept you. But if you ever realize God already knows and He loves and accepts you, then you'll stop worrying about what people think about you and you'll start worrying about what if they find out about me. Listen, those skeletons in your closet, they're just dead bones. They can't do anything unless you're still putting meat on them. it a skeleton in your closet that's just something dead dried up and brittle that's old that's irrelevant but if it's what you're hiding in your closet that's a whole different story 
you got to get to the place where you realize God knows everything about me and he chooses to accept me he chooses to love me when you realize everything you have is a gift from God too many people are bitter about what they don't have they can't take time to thank God for what they do have you don't feel like you've got enough you don't feel like God's given you enough no you're just not realizing all that God has given you the air to breathe everything that you have the Bible says is a gift from God I wonder if you're thankful for it last thing are you thankful that God sent his son to the cross we're going to talk about it tonight I want you to come back if you can see the way to really be impacted fully as a true Christian is to never forget about Calvary to not get distant in your mind from the cross to never forget about his suffering to always remember that he paid for me man I love the old hymns and I think people that didn't grow up hearing him have missed out on so much but the old hymn writer asked a great question have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power are you washed in the blood of the lamb See, when you realize that God has covered you with the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, and that He paid every cost for you so that you could have access to God, some of these things should become more trivial to you. So what? You don't have everything you want. Do you have eternity? So what? You don't have everything that you thought. It didn't all turn out the way. It didn't turn out the way anybody thought it was going to turn out for anybody. But can you be thankful for salvation? Can you be thankful for the God that loves you, that always does what's right and is filled with kindness? The Bible says it's the goodness of the Lord that leads to repentance. We need wholesale, large-scale, across-the-board repentance. We need people to finally come to grips and say, he's right and I'm wrong. We need people to finally say, he never let go of me, and I've been trying to hold on to everything but him. See, what repentance is, is a change of mind that results in a change of direction. It literally is a Greek image of someone walking this direction. They get confronted with a series of truth, and they say, okay, now that I see that, I'm going to walk in that direction. That's what repentance is. The problem is, too many people repent and then repent of their repentance. Let me show you what that looks like. Walking away from God. See the truth. Walk back toward God. See your own selfishness and what you really think you want. Walk back away from God. Walk back to, walk back away, walk back to. And it's a ping pong game of repenting against your, it's changing your mind of what's right, then changing your mind that it was wrong, then changing back to it right, then changing that it was wrong. But the Bible says that godly sorrow works repentance not to be repented of. So I want to leave you with this one thought today. How cool would it be if you could stop trying to get over what you've been trying to get over? How cool would it be if you could stop repenting of that thing that you've been repenting of for so long? How cool would it be if you could finally get beyond struggling with that thing you've been struggling with? Until 
you let godly sorrow sorrow deep in your spirit because you've harmed God because you've wronged God because you see how good and kind and loving he is and you come to grips with the fact that you ain't been that good to him and you let that break so he said what he'll receive is a broken contrite spirit what he'll receive is you and your brokenness when you finally realize I need thee oh I need thee every hour when you write when you realize that and you understand and and and, and here's this is, this is so amazing he takes us back do you get that no matter how far you've run from him no matter how far you've strayed from him see don't think that god is like a person who's going to like you talk it out and walk it out and watch you in your oh oh they say they're sorry let's just watch and see no god takes us back when you come to God in truth and in brokenness and you say I want you God I don't know why you want me I don't know why you love me I don't make it doesn't make sense I'm not worthy of your love but I want you he's full of love and he's full of grace and he's full of mercy and he's accepting and he's kind and he takes us back Make your way back to God, Christian. He loves you. If you're here and you're not truly saved, He's made a way for you to know His love. He said if you'd call on Him, He'd save you. Too many people have prayed a prayer that didn't result in salvation. But the Bible says that you'll only find Him when you seek Him with your whole heart. doesn't matter how many prayers you've prayed, how many aisles you've walked down. If you're not right with God, call on Him. Ask Him to save you for real. It's time. For us to fall in love with the God who loves us. Paul said the one thing he wanted more than anything. And it doesn't make sense. If you read it in King James, it's really hard to understand. He said, I want to apprehend the one with, by whom I've been apprehended. That's, that's, that's wordy, 500-year-old English. What he was saying is, I want to lay hold on the one who's laid hold on me. Because he never let go. He never let go. In all the running that you've done from God, He's never let go. In all the straying that you've done from God, He's never let go. In, in all of the bad thoughts and, and confusion that you've had, He's never let go. And I want to tell you something. If you'll just come to Him, He never will let go. Because His mercy is everlasting. And His love is enduring. And He wants you to know how good He is. Stop looking at your pain. Stop looking at your problem. And start realizing it's amazing that he would love anybody like us. Pray with me. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for salvation, God. Thank you for Calvary. Thank you for taking on the form of a servant and becoming obedient unto death. Thank you for dying for sinful people. Thank you for forgiving sinners and for loving people in imperfection. Thank you, God, for loving hurting people. Thank you for loving broken people. Thank you for loving messed up people. Thank you for loving people that don't understand everything. 
Thank you for making a way for us to be right with you. God, I pray that you would heal the hurting, that you would save the lost, restore the backslider, and light our hearts on fire for you. Let us truly repent because you are good. It's our confession today that you're the only true God, that you raised yourself from the dead, that you paid for our sins, and that you're alive forevermore. We choose your way today. We love you. We honor you in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.